Today we're talking about Thanksgiving, because it's coming up this week, right? Oh, I was, uh, sorry, sorry. I'm going away. I was a vacation brain. No, I do want to say thank you for uh, letting our family uh, sneak away last week. We did get to go visit uh, our son, our oldest son. We have three of them. Our oldest son who lives on Catalina. It's kind of quite an adventure story. He lives in this little shack in the backyard of uh, the parents of the owner of the restaurant that he works at. And uh, those folks, that landlords, happen to be going out of town. And they said, hey, you want to have your parents come over and stay for free in our house? I'm like, mm -hmm, yes, uh, all we have to do is feed the chihuahuas. And so, and walk them, you know, once a little time, every, you know, once in a while. So that was a good deal. So we got to go visit our son, and uh, a delightful time. My wife's prayer was answered, and there was summer weather. Like, we got to do the same thing last year uh, over Thanksgiving, and it was like bitter cold. And uh, so this year, when the invitation came, she's like, no, I don't want to come. It's freezing. No, I don't even want to go outside. <laughs> so I was like, well, let's start praying. And so I don't know. But like, it was 79 and sunny like the whole week. Like, that's like summertime there. I even went in the ocean a few times. So that was fantastic. But thank you guys for letting us sneak away and for all those who contributed to making sure. Uh, <laughs> who said someone this morning? Like, oh, it's nice to have you back. The building didn't burn down. I was like, I, I had a little more confidence than that of what was taking place. So. Thank you, guys, and uh, thanks for all the well wishes and prayers for us having that family time for Thanksgiving. But I do want to return to Thanksgiving, uh, not, not the holiday, but the topic, because it has profound significance for the people of God. And I do think it's uh, a wonderful holiday. It's amazing that it's a national day of, hey, let's be thankful for all that we have, all that God has done, all that God has given. But there is a temptation to just quickly run by that, especially with the busyness that comes with the ensuing holiday season. And so I do like to intentionally slow down try to fight the busyness and slow down this time of year and really soak in the depths of the upcoming holidays that we're celebrating. And Thanksgiving is always one that, to me, hits deep because of God's design for his people to be marked by gratitude. I mean, if you look through the Bible, there are over a hundred different admonitions, exhortations for God's people to be a people of thanksgiving, of gratitude. It's a thread that runs all throughout the Bible. I want to start us with a passage that is a good one, but then as I studied into it, I was shocked to find the context of it that makes it even that much more poignant and powerful. The Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I want to also read the message translation. I like how it kind of brings out a little different nuance. Let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, 
be done in the name of our master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. What both of those capture is the, is the verb about giving thanks is in the present continuous. Giving thanks to God the Father in everything we do or thanking God the Father every step of the way. That's the picture that the, even the tense of the verb gives us. And what that points to is it's a lifestyle. A Thanksgiving is a way of life. It's not like a start and stop. I did it one time a year. I practiced it. I'm done. I gave thanks here and now it's over. It's this ongoing reality. Giving thanks in every step of the way in life. I mean, let's think about that. The verse says, let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the, of the Lord Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. So in every detail of our life, in everything that we, we do, as we're walking through life, there is thanksgiving coming out of us. It's a way of life for those marked by the Master Jesus. And would this verse be even more interesting, more important, more impactful if you knew that Paul wrote this while in prison, serving a four-year sentence for a crime he did not commit? You can actually trace it. Sometimes it's really fun to put the pieces of the puzzle together of the Bible. In this case, in the New Testament, it's Acts 21, 27 to 36. If you want to look at it later, don't have time to go into the depth of it today. But essentially, Paul was arrested via the false accusations of a mob. And he was then put in prison with no trial, and given a four-year sentence for a crime that he did not commit. So, I mean, you just think about our world today. I mean, he had no due process. He had no freedom of speech. He had no freedom of religion. He had no justice. He didn't even stand before a just judge. It was just the, the swirled-up mob that swayed the leaders, and he just, bam, prison. Four years of your life, gone. And while in prison, he writes, <laughs> let every detail in your lives, words, actions, whatever, be done in the name of the Master Jesus, thanking God the Father every step of the way. I mean, that seems like a superpower to me. It's like, are you kidding me? You have every right to feel the injustice of your situation and just be uh, bitter? Resentful? Rightly so? I mean, at who? At least the mob, for sure. The, the, those leaders who put him in, and, and maybe he's like, and God, where were you? How can you genuinely be giving thanks in that situation, Paul? Now, it's very important to notice, he does not give thanks for the situation. There's another verse where he says that very plainly, where he says, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. I'm very glad he didn't say for all things. That's a big difference. 
Because sometimes horrible things happen. You don't give thanks for the evil that's come your way in the world. You can still give thanks in them for the redeeming power of God. For your hope in God. For the restoration that's coming. For the promises that God still has for you in your life. We'll come back to Paul a little bit later. But for now I want to summarize that what he demonstrates is something that as I mentioned, just runs through the entire Bible. That God's people are to be a people of thanksgiving. Over a hundred times it's mentioned. Not a one-time event, but a way of life. And now even that much more, as people in the new covenant, with Jesus as our Savior, with Jesus reconciling us to God, with the veil being torn, the separation between God and humanity through Christ is now gone when you come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So why do we give thanks now? Well, <laughs> interestingly, this word, there's a word that to me, man, it answers the question of even when things are hard, why do we always give thanks. How can we have the power to always give thanks? How can we be a people of thanks in the highs and in the lows of life? There's one word in the New Testament that I think contains the answer to that in a divinely beautiful way. And it's actually in the word thanksgiving. Or gratitude. In the New Testament, that Greek word is Eucharisto. Comes up over 50 times. Over 50 times. Thanksgiving and giving thanks. I mean, you think about over 100 times in the whole Bible. And the, New, the Old Testament is like way bigger than the New Testament. And yet in that small comparison, that idea of becoming a people of gratitude and thanks just like exponentially increases. And the divine irony or humor or beauty of why we are a people of thanks is contained in this word Eucharisto that happens over 50 times. Right in the middle of this word Eucharisto is the word charis. Which means, anybody know? Grace. So let's think about that for a moment. Grace is embedded in gratitude. Or the root of gratitude is grace. If you recognize that you are rooted in grace, the proper response will be an overflowing of gratitude. Yes. Yes. It is impossible to not have gratitude if you are appropriately recognizing the grace that you are rooted in. 
To put differently, if you have nothing to be grateful for or feel that way, it's because you're not remembering the grace that is rooting and enveloping your life. We are a people of gratitude because we're a people of grace. And to the degree that we recognize our life rooted in grace, we will become overflowing with gratitude. So I would assert for us that what the Bible's trying to show us is that far from a day or a season, gratitude is actually a crucial spiritual discipline that renews our mind. It calls us to remember who we are. Remember what our life is based on. Our life is not based on what we deserve. Good God, I hope not. Is that that not the essence of the Christian confession? God, I don't want what I deserve. I want grace. And if I'm rooted in grace and I recognize that I'm not getting what I deserve, I'm getting way better. Gratitude will flow. So gratitude is not this just quick, trite, not positive thinking real quick that I'll do at, at the holiday that the country tells me to do. No, no. It's a weapon of war. Against the lies of Satan, against his attempts every day to get us to try to forget what God has done. Forget who we are. Forget that we're a people that is eternally rooted in grace. That charis there right in the middle of Eucharisto is never, we don't want that to ever go away. And so as we live rooted in that, it flows out. James 1, 16 to 17 says it like this. Answers that question of even in the ups and the downs, the trials and the tribulations of life, how can we be a people of thanksgiving and gratitude at all times? James 1, 16 says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above. That's the grace we've been talking about. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. There is no darkness in him at all, is the point. He only gives good gifts. So the confession to come away with from this verse is every good and perfect gift is from above. That's the verse itself. Translate that. Every single good thing you have in life is a gift from above. That is a confession of grace. The good things I have in my life are not because I deserved them. 
fundamentally, I am rooted in undeserved goodness called grace. Good gifts from our Heavenly Father. And if everything in life, if we recognize it for what it is, everything good in life is a gift from God and we recognize it, then everything good we have in life is something to be thankful for. And there's the engines of gratitude. Get rolling. Interestingly, James opens this short little section with something that at first is like, it doesn't, does that fit? Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. I mean, circle that in your Bible. Think about that one. What? Don't be deceived. James says that to start off this simple, short, but very, very important theological framework for how you understand God and your life. He is not shifting shadows. He has no evil or darkness in him. And he only gives you good gifts. And everything good you have in your life is a gift from him. Don't be deceived. He's saying... If you think otherwise, if in any way you think God has shadows sometimes that he throws at you, or that things in your life that are not good are gifts from him, or that good things in your life are your own doing apart from him, any of those things, you're under a deception. You're living under a lie, James is saying. Don't be deceived. It's coming back to that call to live in that beautiful, holy sobriety of where where is our root? Where are we rooted? You know that word radical? (laughs) Comes from the very cool word radish, or it's got the same idea. It literally means radical. Like, I want to be radical for Jesus. That R-A-D, rad. Radish, it literally means root, rooted. Radish is a root. You want to become awesomely radical for Jesus? Never get over your roots. Which is, I am utterly dependent on grace. I believe this is how Paul can write from prison. Whatever you do in word or deed, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I believe his superpower to have gratitude in the midst of any circumstance is because he was so rooted in the grace of God. He was so focused on the grace of God as the absolute center of his life, that even when circumstances were awful, he was overflowing with thanksgiving. 
And when I say I believe, let me change that. I know this is where his power comes from. Why? Because he said it one chapter earlier in the same book. <laughs> Colossians 2, 6 to 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, thus, here we go, overflowing with thankfulness, gratitude. It's the same word in Greek. Let's walk that back a little bit. So then, if you think about what is he, what is he saying? First of all, it's a testimony. We're going to get to that in a moment of his own life. Just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Well, how did you receive Christ as Lord? That's, that's the ultimate question for this passage because he's saying just as you received Christ, that's how you keep living in him. Just as you were rooted in him, that's how you're built up in him. So how did you receive Christ as Lord? Utter dependence on grace. I mean, that's the essence of the gospel is that you are believing in and receiving the grace of Jesus Christ that he made possible through his life, death, and resurrection. We are rooting ourselves in grace through faith in our Lord Jesus. And Paul's saying just that same way that you came to Jesus, keep living in Jesus. So it's, we never move beyond the rooting in grace. Now, we grow and mature. Yes, he's saying be built up in him. Become more like Jesus. So we're not meant to stay stagnant and complacent and we don't grow. That's not the message at all. It's the opposite. It's the same thing that got you saved is going to get you sanctified. And that's staying dependent on the grace of Jesus. Yes. You root in him, you build in him in the exact same way. Dependence on his good grace. And so I believe, ultimately, what Paul's doing here is he's testifying from his own life. He's in prison, after all. And now we've seen him at least twice in the same book, to the same, to the church at Colossae, or Colossae, whatever. Two times in three chapters, he's admonishing them to be this people of gratitude, be this people of thanksgiving. In context, he's in prison unjustly for four years, and it's like, wow, how is he doing this? He is calling them, or he's bearing witness to the testimony of his own life. That as he stays rooted to, connected to, the fundamentals of this glorious 
grace in Christ Jesus, that's what's giving him the power to overflow in thanksgiving. And now he's passing it on. If you will, he's kind of saying, hey, here's the, here's the secret for me. I'm in prison. It's unjust. Been here four years. I'm still overflowing in gratitude. Here's how you do it. Never forget the basics of who you are in Christ. He's calling them, if you want to overflow, it's a continual remembering of who you are in Christ. So it's a simple idea, but profound. That if you're ever needing, when you're needing, to kick on those engines of gratitude, quite simply, remember your salvation and what it cost Jesus to make that possible for you. I know we all go through times where life is hard and we get tempted to live under that deception that James warns us, us about. The deception of forgetting who we are, forgetting what Jesus has done. I mean, why does it happen so many times throughout the entire Bible where Jesus or God the Father calls his people to remember what God has done. Because one of the biggest tools of the enemy is just to try to get us forget. Get us focused on the current circumstances. Which might be hard and might be painful and might be hurtful. Like Paul in prison. That's real. There's no way around the fact that that's really hard. Like I try to put myself in his shoes. Could I have four years of my life stolen unjustly and remain overflowing in gratitude? I don't feel like I could pass that test. That's, that's real life that he's in. Real life hits and it hits hard at times. And so what Paul is drawing us back to, what James is drawing us back to, is that even when life hits hard and we're trying to think, like trying to find something to be grateful for, oh, what am I, what am I grateful for? And it's not coming easily. They're both drawing us back to the, 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 the center, the core, the rootedness of our entire now as followers of Jesus, hope for our existence, the hope for our past, the hope for our present, the hope for our future, that we can always be drawn back and should draw ourselves back regularly if we want to overflow like Paul to remember the unbelievably glorious fundamentals of our faith in God. That God has given us new life through Jesus. That God has made it possible to have a relationship with him that we absolutely don't deserve. To be called a beloved child of God. As John 1 says that any who believe in Jesus have the right to be called children of God. And then John picks that up in his 
letter to his churches in 1 John 3, 1, where he says, how great is the love of God he has lavished, such a good word, lavished upon his children. And that is what we are. And Ephesians 1 talks about now in Christ, the inheritance that are, that is coming our way is unbelievable. It says every spiritual blessing in heaven is ours in Christ. As we have been accepted into the family of God through Christ. Now he took everything that we deserve and we get everything that's his. I mean, so that fundamental Christian confession is, I deserve hell, but through Jesus, I get heaven. And if you're having a really, really hard day or month or week or year, that, if nothing else can do it, that should draw us back to get those engines of gratitude moving, our our basic confession of faith is, oh, Jesus, who you are, what you've done. I'm nothing without you. I'm lost without you. I'm a sinner without you. I'm separated from God without you. Where would I be without you? Life, even, I mean, I know for me that, that kickstarts my engines of gratitude. Just that simple question of what would my life be like without God? Yes. And I just start to think. And it gets scary real quick. It really does. It's like, oh man. If I tried to imagine taking out the power of God, the wisdom of his word, the vision for our life, the forgiveness, the transformation, the grace, the help, the undeserved favor, the provision, the blessings. And I start to think about everything that I love in life and I get scared. It's a weird feeling. It's kind of like, feels like a little tiny taste of like hell because it's like I can imagine and it's not good where would I be without you lost dark so if we are children of God then we've already won (laughs) we've won in this life so that our past is forgiven our present is protected and provided for and our future our eternal future is secure with the promises of all of heaven being our inheritance in Christ and so as we choose the spiritual discipline of being grateful by rooting ourselves in grace, through that, we can become this people that overflow like Paul with gratitude in every situation. I want to close with Jesus teaching us the exact same thing. Jesus himself taught us to give thanks regularly through remembering his sacrifice. There is a long tradition of this now, 2,000 years old. The church has done a pretty good job remembering what Jesus said, which is remember his sacrifice. 
We often call it the Lord's Supper, communion. We're going to take these elements together here in just a moment. What is often not remembered in, in our particular strand and tradition is that for a very long time, this was called the Eucharist. It's the word Eucharisto, thanksgiving, rooted in grace, charis. And you know why it's called the Eucharisto? Because when Jesus spoke the words of the Last Supper, right before he talked about his body being broken, right before he talked about his blood being spilt, it says he Eucharistoed. He gave thanks. And then he said, now remember this. Do this in remembrance of me. Give thanks like I did for my body that is being broken for you. Give thanks like I did for my blood that was shed for you. Do this and remember me regularly. Don't forget what I have done for you. It's the same thing as James. Don't be deceived and forget Let's read the passage. Luke 22, 14 to 20. When the hour came, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had Eucharistoed, when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had Eucharistoed, when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Now do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So twice he says, it says, When he had given thanks... When he had given thanks, when he had given thanks over his body that was going to be broken for us, and then when he had given thanks for his blood that was going to be spilt for us, he then said, now you do this to remember me. Give thanks for my body. Give thanks for my blood. Do this regularly. Remember what I have done. To root us in that waterfall of grace that we are eternally dependent upon. So I want to pray for us right now and just ask us to take a couple minutes and reflect. Reflect upon the sacrifice of Jesus. That his body was broken for you. That his blood was spilled for you. For the new covenant Jesus says. That new way of God relating with humanity 
where if and when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that it was his body broken on the cross, it was his blood shed on the cross, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, and then his powerful resurrection that proved his power over sin, darkness, and death. And that as we entrust ourselves to him as our Savior, new life is ours in Christ. New covenant, a new relationship with God has been made possible. Where the veil is torn. Where the Holy Spirit is now not simply one to come upon certain people at times, at only certain times for specific missions. Now the Holy Spirit is available to all. Where Jesus even says, now to the one who loves me, my Father and I will come and we will make our abode, our dwelling place. We'll set up a tent literally the Greek, in you. We will dwell in you. That is a level of grace that when we contemplate it, meditate on it, pray on it, ask for revelation, that's enough grace right there to keep us going with gratitude for the rest of our life and all the way into eternity. But that's just the beginning. <laughs> There's so much more. So let's take a couple minutes along those lines. I just want to encourage you to very personally, just between you and God, ask Him to bring to mind His grace in your life. Where would you be without Him? What are some of those good and perfect gifts that He has bestowed on your life? And let's just get those engines of gratitude going. And if you're having a rough time, come back to the rootedness of your salvation in Christ. That is where we live from to overflow. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to honor and worship you in this time. We want to honor and worship your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as he told us to do to fight against that reality that we forget. We come under lies by forgetting who you are and what you've done for us in the very essence and basic, fundamental, life-giving reality of salvation. We ask for your Holy Spirit to be bringing revelation deeper revelation of the sacrifice that you made to make that relationship with you possible. And then all those other things that you've added, grace upon grace, grace upon grace. That's a beautiful declaration from John chapter 1. From him we receive grace upon grace. That's the eternal waterfall of undeserved goodness that never runs dry. Let's just take a couple minutes between you and the Lord and ponder these things. And then we'll take the elements together. Dance a new dance like day.